0: This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, books that are timeless and charming, provocative and of the moment, the conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. I'm Roxanne Cody, and this is Just the Right Book, This is the event that we do once a year. I am thrilled to be joined by Andrew Brennan, who is our head buyer at RJ Julia's, and Lori Fazio, who's the president of RJ Julia's. And what we do this time of year is we scour the bookstore to find all the perfect gifts. So we're going to have a lot of books. And you might be driving or running. Well, don't worry about having a pencil and remembering all this, because either you can link onto the show notes, see all the books, or you could go to rjjulia.com, click podcast, and you'll see all the books there. So just enjoy learning about all the books to give as gifts. I'm going to start with one of my favorite books of the year, one of my favorite authors, And that's a book called American Ramble, A Walk of Memory and Renewal by Neil King Jr. Neil King's a journalist. He was with the Washington Post. And he had decided after experiencing everything we all did with the pandemic and all the sort of discontentness in the country, he was going to walk from Washington to New York and try to understand really what was going on. And between talking about history, meeting people, understanding human nature, you end up with a book that is good for anybody of any age. I would say, you know, 12 to 112, you just learn a lot and feel better about what's going on. So American Ramble, A Walk of Memory and Renewal by Neil King Jr.
1: Lori, what do you got? So this time of year, a lot of biographies and memoirs come out and um, some celebrity ones. So I have been reading John Stamos, if you would have told me. So John Stamos was, I had lots of pictures from Teen <laughs> Beat magazine up on my walls when I was a kid. Um, so I had to read this one. And the cover is adorable because he's looking right at me. Um, only, <laughs> no me. One <laughs> only me. And no one else. Only me. He starts out with a bang. I mean, you you get into the day that he was pulled over and he was inebriated and people were driving. Is that walk- like drunk? Yes, yeah, that would be that. Um, there's lots of cars driving by saying, Uncle Jesse, because that was his character on Full House, pull over, pull over, you shouldn't be driving. And he pulls over and then he passes out and he wakes up in a hospital. And then he gets himself into rehab. So he he t- um, subtitles this, if you would have told me, because, you know, growing up, he even though he loved acting and he loved being in the spotlight and he had an si- older sister and a younger sister, he never thought that he would become somebody famous and that mm. people would adore. One of the things I love about this, he owns what he goes through. And and he really, you know, talks about his mother being such the, the fan for him. And she would send him little notes. And one of the notes that I love is, I'm the only person on earth that has shared a heartbeat with you, my child, which I thought was really- Oh my God, I got chills right? from yeah, that. Yeah, me too. Me too. And there's all these little handwritten notes throughout the book inspiring him to just be a good person and to pull himself, you know, forward and and get through it. He gets himself sober. He finds a wife late in life and has a child. You hear about how when Bob Saget died, who was his best friend, of all the grief that he went through because, you know, he's like, you can lose anybody in an instant. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to be a better person it's really well done. He doesn't hide any of his demons. And I find that really refreshing.
0: So Laura, I didn't, I, I mean, I, I kind of knew who John Stamos was, but I never saw those shows, but I've heard you talk about this book and it made me interested in going back and watching him <laughs> on TV and reading the book. But in case someone wants to read more than John Stamos. Mm -hmm. I can't remember a year with this many celebrity biographies. So I'm just going to run through a bunch quickly. One is a lot of you might have heard of a woman by the name of Britney Spears, Uh, the woman in me. And this was a pretty provocative cover. And this was Britney after years of not feeling like she had control over her life Telling her story in her way. And it's got, you know, you've already seen in the press little tidbits that came out of it. But for Britney fans, I think this delivers exactly what they were hoping for. Then there might be another person that you've heard of by the name of Barbara Streisand. <laughs> so, My Name is Barbara is a doorstop of a book. I think it's almost a thousand pages. I don't know whether anybody took to editing it. But again, like John Stamos, it's pretty unvarnished. You know, she she discloses a lot. It's a lot about filmmaking, about directing, some about misogyny. It's some about where she feels like she didn't get her due, but she had plenty of due. And I've spoken to people who adored this and are obsessed with it and people who were like, enough already, show me the pictures and I'll read the book review. But if you're a Barbara Streisand fan, you, you just got to have this.
1: I saw an interview with her and they made her put in all of her her little loves over the years. And she didn't wanna do it, but they said it's not gonna be a, a truth if you don't put them in. So she did.
0: They're all there. And then who doesn't love Henry Winkler? Who doesn't love the Fonz and, or Barry? I mean, he was amazing yeah. on Barry. So his biography being Henry, you know, you would think that this is a guy who's had it all, he must be easygoing and happy. None of that is true, right? It's always they're not exactly who we think. He's not the font and he's not the guy on Barry. But he's a guy who was dyslexic, struggled, and still to this day is not sure that he feels confident about finding his way in the world. I would say he found his way in the world. Mm -hmm. Then there's Patrick Stewart, who we think of as this very distinguished actor, British And uh, the name of his book is Making It So, a memoir. Again, Patrick Stewart started life in a very different way than we think of a Shakespearean. You know, we might have thought he himself was titled and he was hardly titled. And this is really beautifully written. I mean, Patrick Stewart's done a great job. And then, of course, there's the love affair of forever. Joanne Woodward and Paul Newman, head over heels. And this is a love affair in words and pictures by uh, one of their kids, Melissa Newman. And I had interviewed one of their daughters for a book that had been put together about Paul Newman. And I now find I can't get enough Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. I want to like binge on all their movies. So there's plenty of celebrity biographies for you to pick from. Now it's your turn, Andrew.
2: All right, I'm going to talk about the last island, Discovery, Defiance, and the most elusive tribe on Earth. In 2018, a missionary was killed when he tried to visit North Sentinel Island in the Bay of Bengal. Now, North Sentinel Island is part of the Andaman Islands. That's an island chain in the Bay of Bengal in between India and, like, Malaysia. Okay. All right? So, this became viral because he was trying to visit a place that is considered kind of the last place where there are uncontacted people on Earth by modern man. All right? Mm. And this became a big story. You know, he didn't make it off the island, but it really garnered a lot of attention for this place. This book is a history of the Andaman Islands. All right. And the reason that I really love it is because you've got the horrible things that happen when colonizers come to a place. But this was all happening into the 20th century. Okay, Mm. so British was looking the the British were looking for a prison colony. They found the Andaman Islands Mm. and they were still trying to colonize it. They were still trying to to wipe out natives and kind of take over the area. And this is all just, you know, barely 100 years ago. So it's kind of one of the last examples of that. Mm. And the effects are really still there. The last place that they never really got to is North Sentinel Island. It's 23 square miles of jungle and beaches. And there are who knows how many people living there. And um, as far as I'm concerned, I I think that they're pretty happy staying exactly where they are. Planes fly over their, their island all the time. They were getting visited by some people back in the 70s, but really no one's been there since. So this is, it's one of those great history books that has a real tie to what's happening right now as Mm. well.
0: And Andrew, how have they managed, I mean, there must be a lot of curiosity. So how have they managed, without killing anybody who comes near them, to avoid somebody just coming, even journalists coming on to the island. Well, they're not
2: allowed, you know. Um, they're they're. I, I, I think it's India that they're kind of under the protection of, uh-huh. and really no one's allowed to go there because there's there's kind of no good outcome that they can imagine for that. Right. The reason that it's it is very isolated, you know. I mean, it was never. No one ever thought, oh, okay, I can come here and make money on this. So it has, no government thought that, right? So it has stayed Hmm. as it is. You know, now that we know a little bit about this, contacting uncontacted people, what good outcome is going to come of this, right?
0: So it really made you universalize it in the way that we're beginning to understand what countries that colonized other countries. And even when there were revolutions that got rid of them, you never do. Exactly. You never do get rid of colonizers.
2: Exactly. Exactly. The 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 effects are there forever. Yeah. And we can see that all over the world. And this this place the Andaman Islands is is unique because it's kind of one of the last places that people tried to do that. So the effects mm. are still so fresh.
0: All right, I want to read that too. It's mm-hmm. great. All right. Thank you. So I'm going to cover a couple of fiction books at once because It's always hard to pick out fiction as a gift because you're, you know, particularly if you don't know the person. But if you know a little bit about them, I think one of these three books should work for you. So the first book I'm going to talk about is Let Us Descend by Jesmyn Ward. And Jesmyn is a two-time National Book Award winner. The book of hers you might have heard of was Sing, Unburied, Sing. And this is what Jasmine Ward does brilliantly in talking about what life was like for the enslaved is you have a visceral reaction to what her characters are experiencing. And from page one of this book, it's a little bit of watching a car wreck that you don't want, you just don't want to believe that this could happen. But these are the stories that it's critical for us to experience. And the way she does it makes us understand it like inside our body, not as an, not only as an observer. So Jasmine Ward's Let Us Descent. Then the second fiction book is The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. James McBride could write the back of a cereal box for me and I'd read it. He has a Mm -hmm. biography of James Brown that I adored. His memoir, The Color of Water, is a must read. And what he has produced here is just the most raucous cast of characters that you can imagine with crazy names you almost have to like write them down to keep them straight. But it's about a small community in Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh, set in the 30s or 40s. And it's a community that's both Jewish and Black, which was true for a lot of communities in the Northeast. And there was a real alignment between Jews and Blacks. And this story reminds you about both the nastiness of human nature and the good of human nature, and you will not quickly forget these characters. I mean, I think this book is for, I haven't spoken to a person of any age, of any stripe that hasn't loved this book. So that's James McBride. Then this book, which I haven't read yet, is called Northwoods by Daniel Mason. It was picked this morning as one of the top 10 books by the New York Times. Every staff person at R.J. Joy is that's read this is obsessed with it. Like I was talking to Sharon, one of our legendary booksellers, and she she didn't let me come back upstairs to record today because she wanted me to understand more. And I think Northwoods, from the way Sharon described it, it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, is that it's also good for any reader. So hopefully we got enough fiction Laura. maybe you have more fiction.
1: Well, I'm going to talk about short stories, um, a collection by Paul Yoon called The Hive and the Honey. Who you adore. I do adore Paul Yoon. And I I will read anything by him um, that he ever puts out. And it started with his book, Snow Hunters, which is a must read for everybody on On the the planet. planet. Really, truly. (laughs) Um, It is the most beautiful book. Probably one of my top three books ever. Really? Yeah, Really. Wow, the snow hunters. Snow hunters, not the just snow hunters. Just okay, it's incredible. It, and I still, after all these years, can't believe you haven't read it. I will. You I must will. Try I it. promise. Yeah, you're. fit it in. <laughs> uh, it's little. It'll take you like a day. Okay, not even. Um, okay, so the hive and the honey is short story. So Paul Yoon has the ability to um, reach right into your soul and feel for the characters that he's putting on the pages. It's not really a, the setting or the plot. It's really about the characters and their story that you really invest in. So this is, there's about 10 stories and he came for an event recently and I asked him, you know, did you write the, the these stories specifically for this book or do you just write stories and then you cherry picked what you wanted in here? And he said it was a little bit of both. There were some stories that he wrote specifically to put in and then some of them are, you know, he just had to pick um, amongst them. So this is basically about, understanding what the Korean culture has gone through. He does write a lot about the Korean culture and how, you know, people just think they understand, you know— Was he born here or— he, uh, I think he's American-born, but he is of Korean descent, mm-hmm. yeah. So you would think I would know because I am obsessed with him as— That's as okay. Author. But, I, you know, these stories all have to do in some way or, or another of— People that have Korean descent and their stories mm. of how they are in this world, where they are in America, they don't all take place in America. But they really give you an understanding that there's a way of life that they're they're trying to exist amongst. And it's it's really interesting. Mm. And the stories end, and it found me wanting more. I wanted more of that story. I wanted more of like hearing about this whole, you know, culture. And I'm like, I want to know what happens to the characters. And he just looked at me and said, yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But his writing is brilliant. And he's a beautiful writer.
0: All right. I love short stories. Okay.
1: So, yes. So, he was born in New York. Yes. There you go. So, he is American-born. American-born. Yeah. So, this is The Hive and the Honey, a short stories collection by Paul Yoon. All right. Fabulous. Thanks, Laura. Mr. Brennan.
2: All right. We're going to talk about tools by Theodore Gray. Now, Theodore Gray is the author of, of some previous uh, really cool science coffee table books called The Elements, Molecules, Reactions. I'm sure you remember those from years past, mm-hmm. Roxanne. And what this, what, what his books are like is they're these large coffee table books. You open them up on the left-hand side. You've got a nice big picture of one of his amazing collection of hand tools. And on the right, some smaller pictures with some history, some science. I absolutely love books by Theodore Gray and I think that this is the best one he's done in a while. It's got every type of hand tool you can possibly imagine. They're all organized into 118 categories. So he's able to cleverly put them all into this periodic table of tools that goes vertically and they get heavier as you go down. Um, it's pretty incredible. really. Oh, yeah, it's great here. So and, not and the only, book is gorgeous. The, the photography is amazing. He has this very distinctive black background, high gloss photography. This is the periodic table. You actually get a copy of this a poster that you can pull out and put on your wall because you're going to like it.
0: Right. You know, when I looked at this <laughs> book, I thought, I want to learn how to use these tools. Mm. Yeah, well, I I mean, mean, you know,
2: it's got everything from hammers down to things like micrometers that you didn't know existed, which is what's great about it. Because you could be really into tools. I'm going to get this for Keb. You could be really into tools or not that into tools. And I think, you know, get Mm -hmm. just as much out of it. It's history combined with science, combined with, you know. People who like DIY stuff are absolutely going to like this would book. Love it, sure, right? Yeah, I mean, these he, his books are designed really for as wide an audience as he can. There's, I mean, these books are funny. You know, he talks about, you know, these are all his tools. So he'll tell you often like where he found them, um, mm. like if he found it at a yard sale, if he bought it new when he was young, or if he just bought it the other day. You know, so um, it's really a personal history combined with his uh, great science acumen. Mm. I love him.
0: Nice. I always love, Andrew, when you talk about these books that I would never dream of going (laughs) near, And I think, I I need to read that book. I need to to know more. So I'm going to talk about a book that I am obsessed by. I had read an article in The New Yorker that said Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes fame had a book out that had been illustrated. I don't know that I'm going to say the illustrator's name properly. Is John... Cashed K-A-S-C-H-T. Anyway, this is a book with very few words. You could read it, we actually did read it at a dinner party, with these kind of eerie, black and white, sketchy, not sketchy meaning, um <laughs> troublesome, but looking like sketches, illustrations on the right side, and text on the left side. And Patrick in our store loved it. And I asked him what his takeaway from it was, which was a little bit different than my takeaway, which is kind of what I love about the book, that there's something very positive about the book, but there's something that's a warning about the book. But at the end of the day, the takeaway that I had, which was a little different than Patrick's was that The monsters that we think exist are creations of our own fears, not necessarily of a reality. Patrick sees it as a warning to be on guard for how those fears can turn into something super bad. And given what's going on in the world, you could go there. But I think this is a great family book or friend's book to read and talk about what it means to you. Because there's a lot of room, a lot of room Mm -hmm. for discussion. I think it's like a perfect hostess kind of gift, or if you're going to a family that you don't really know well. But the other part of Bill Watterson is, of course, Calvin and Hobbes cartoons. And our son Edward was obsessed with Calvin and Hobbes, which made us obsessed with Calvin and Hobbes. And we thought Calvin and Hobbes could solve any dilemma that existed on the planet. And there's this adorable little box set that's called the Calvin and Hobbes Portable Compendium. And there's two little paperbacks. And these are cartoons, I think, from the 80s put together in this neat little way. So You can bring a family both these things, or if you think they don't like to get too serious, you might not want to bring them the mysteries and just bring them Calvin and Hobbes.
1: So I'm gonna turn to some cheese now. We're gonna we're gonna talk about So you can about- have the cheese while you're looking at exactly. the Calvin and Hobbes so, cartoons. Y- yes, charcuterie boards, cheese boards, they're all the rage. I mm. mean, you, you see them on. I thought they so, died and then they came back. They might have. I mean, it's like social media is like going. Like, what does yours look like? And the pressure, and but it's good pressure because how can you go wrong with throwing a bunch of cheese and grapes and?
0: But don't they have some now where they just smear butter on the base of the tray? Yeah, or that something? I don't.
1: I don't. I'm okay. not, I, don't I'm, I don't know about that. And I'm. Yeah, that's not my thing. But okay. cheese boards, yes, for sure. And so this is by Tania Darlington, and this is called Madame fromage's. Adventures in Cheese, How to Explore It, Pair It, and Love It, From the Creamiest Breeze to the Funkiest Blues. Ooh. So it's not— Can I see what it looks like inside? Yeah, so it's it's not like the glossy pictures. Oh. It's a little more— um, It's funky. Right, kind of not really cartoony, but sort of cartoony inside. Magaziney. It, right, there you go, magaziney. And there's a lot of different sections to this book. But there's one part of the book that actually brings you on these adventures, and so it's a choose-your-own-cheese adventure. And they tell you, are you the thrill seeker? Are you just curious? Are you on a budget? (laughs) No physical risk. (laughs) Pick which adventure. (laughs) Um, And then in each each one of there's probably like six or seven adventures, and they start with. The cheese board and they tell you what to put on there, where to place it on the board, why you're putting these things together. So this one has, you know, the chevre cheese. I don't know if I'm gonna pronounce this right, but labna, sheep's milk, regat, mozzarella de bufala, and then it has crackers and strawberries and peaches. And then they also show you what you can pair it with. They give you. In like the light white or rosé wine, or you could do a pilsner, a vodka tonic or green tea. And then another part of it is then you're sort of reading your own little travel essay. And so she goes into her adventure of why some of these cheeses are great. So the one Lori's showing me is called Great Escape, spelled <laughs> like the cheese grate, <laughs> Right, G-R-A-T-E. And so it's just a fun book. And she, you know, Gives you this on, um, like I said, six or seven adventures in the middle of the book. But it explains to you different cheeses and where they come from, why she chooses them. You can go from something light like a brie, or like they say in the cover, the funkiest blues, you know, if you want that like real stinky, sharp cheese. And it's, it's just fun. And I love cheese. So for me, it was a lot of fun to kind of dive into and pair things differently than my traditional oh I'm going to get one of these and one of these and one of these and be a little like the cover says the adventure what I
0: like is it looks like it doesn't take it too seriously right so you really can have fun you with can it a lot not of fun. feel like it's going to be over your head
1: yeah no no it's definitely accessible to like the most knowledgeable cheese person, or someone who is just like, well, I re- I eat cheddar, you know. Well, you can get in here and you could just explore. A I little could bit. live
0: on
2: bread and cheese.
1: Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty <laughs> good. It's pretty good. <laughs> okay, Andrew.
2: All right. So, um, sixty songs that explain the nineties by Rob Harvilla. Now, this book is based on a podcast, which ends up being a good thing. This podcast debuted a few years ago, and. I've been listening to it for a few months now and kind of reading this book at the same time, which I think is honestly the best way to consume these two things because I think they really complement each other. But the podcast is each episode, he takes one song and he analyzes it and interviews people about it and explains why it explains the 90s, right? As far as music goes. Mm. This is the funniest podcast I've been listening to. It's the most informative. I absolutely love it. What's the um, title
0: of the podcast?
2: Sixty songs that explain the nineties. Oh, that's
0: pretty straightforward. You can find them
2: both really easily. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so one of my one of my favorite moments um, to kind of illustrate what the 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 style of this from the podcast. He has, uh, they're talking about November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the, the person he's actually interviewing compares Slash, the guitarist, to both T.S. Eliot and Tim Duncan. And he says, you know, these are all, all three of these people are just the absolute best at what they do. And no one can really kind of put their finger on why they're mm. the best. It's a combination of, you know, these 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 elements that just make them the best at what they do. It's it's great for anybody who especially was like a child or a teenager in the 90s, which is me. You know, this is an era of mixtapes. This is an era when we were still going to the CD store to buy CDs. This is when I was a kid. I was taping songs off the radio mm. because it was mm-hmm. the easiest way for me to get things. And he goes into people's, huh. people's CD collections a little bit. What I also know is that back then, paging through somebody's CD book was the single most intimate activity you could engage in with another human being. It was like drinking beer out of someone else's mouth. It was like 75% of the way to just making out with them. You might as well make out with them at that point. (laughs) There's no modern equivalent. That's fabulous. It's it's great. And he, he, he brings us back to that era and explains to us how big a deal music was back then, and how it it and how big songs infiltrated our our community way more than they do now. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I've got a couple years left of of episodes of this podcast, and I'm going to read the book as I go along. Um, I love it.
0: But you know what what it reminds me of when you talk about when you're a kid. So when I was a kid, there were 45s which were little records Mm -hmm. with big holes.
1: I have some of those. So you had to
0: have like the big thing to go on your record player when you were switching from a 33 to a 45. But I kept those records, the little 45s for, you know, it was like the Shirelles and Marvin Gaye and, you know, these, these songs that... So I think of it that there was another time where songs defined you, but in the 90s, I was in my 40s, so I... And I wasn't quite as formative. Anyway, Andrew, so yes, now I want to read that book too, and I'm going to listen to the podcast. You're killing me. That's
2: All what right. I'm here so to do, give you, ta- give, you, give you more books to read. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're going to have to negotiate with uh, Kevin in the house. So there are, you know, there are serious graphic novels. Graphic novels are taking on a whole different element in our reading life, and I think a wonderful element. So, Two lighter graphic novels, uh, graphic books, not novels. So, Roz Chast, who many of you know, who's utterly hilarious, mm-hmm. has now put together this book called I Must Be Dreaming. And literally, what she did was do these illustrations, and these are real dreams of hers. So she's got one dream where she married. She dreamed that she was married to Danny DeVito. <laughs> I like Danny DeVito. He's hilarious, but he's not someone I think about very often. In my dream, he lays with his head in my lap, gazing up at me with adoration. I thought, I'm not in love with him, but it's nice to be adored, so maybe this will work out. And It's a little funny picture of Danny DeVito. In her lap with little hearts. <laughs> I mean, and she's got disturbing dreams. I dreamed that someone handed me a phone receiver. It's for you. It was my mother who had been dead for several years, and she was crying. Oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, if you just want to have a good time, Roz Chast dreams are not a bad way for you to go. And then this other book I came across from one of our booksellers mentioning it. It's called The Art of Living, Reflections on Mindfulness and the Overexamined Life. And these are funny, serious. Mm -hmm. So here's one called Balance. When I try to work, life interrupts. So I hop back and forth and end up neglecting both. I find a balance, but it's shaky at best. I wish I was at work. I long to get a life, then something happens to disturb the balance. And I realize work and life were never separate. And the illustrations are just adorable and make you smile. And then there's one on how to get unstuck. There's one on fall. There's one on leaves. There's one on spinning. So either one of these are also great family books or like if you're Daughter, I don't have a daughter, but if your daughter's bringing a boyfriend that you have no idea if he's going to be someone you're excited about or dread, you can give him one of these books (laughs) and find out his reaction. (laughs) So, uh, The Art of Living by Grant Snyder and I Must Be Dreaming by Roz Chast.
1: Okay, so the last one I'm going to talk about today is a book by Neil Gaiman, who I mean, we just adore, and Neil Gaiman. Um, has all kinds of of books, and he does, you know, graphics, he does writing, he does fantasy. He's he's amazing. This book is actually a picture book, so it is in our kids section. Mm. However, I think it's a book for everybody. It's called What You Need to Be Warm, A Poem of Welcome. So what Neil did was he had, you know, winter was coming, and it was starting to get cold in different places, and he realized, you know, as as every year, there's going to be a lot of people without ways to be warm or without homes perhaps leaving their houses and leaving where they live and you know really the refugees and so he went to social media and he's got millions of followers on social media he is he is well loved um and he asked people what their memories were of being warm and what he did he got Hmm. I mean, thousands of responses. And what he did was he tried to make a poem out of all of the different responses. And he did the best he could to incorporate as many as he could. Then what he did was he went to several artists and asked them to put their spin on parts of the poem. And so there's about seven or eight different artists that, that break down in this book. And they take it and they what they think about and they do the illustration based on what they thought of. So for example, it starts out with a baked potato on a winter's night to wrap your hands around or burn your mouth, a blanket knitted by your mother's cunning fingers or your grandmother's. And so there's a picture on here that has black and white and orange and it's of a little little girl looks like with holding a potato and there's a fire that has potatoes in the fire and there's a bird chirping in the tree. And so the the artist says, hiding in the dark woods when all seems lost, eating baked potatoes, hope and magic for dinner. You're stronger than you think, my child. So Mm. this artist could hear their grandmother's voice and that's what they decided to do for the illustrations. So each section of the book, the illustrations don't match throughout the book because they're different artists and their spin on it. All of the proceeds from this book go to the UNHCR, which is the UN Refugee Agency. So it's not only just the the proceeds from the book, but all of the illustrators also are giving all of their proceeds. So it's a pretty powerful book. It's a little book, and it's just about, you know, how are you going to be warm? And with winter mm. approaching, it really, it just struck me as one of those I mean, I immediately bought a copy and I'll, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I did this with the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. This is the book that everybody will be getting from me this year mm. um, because it's just a powerful message about we, are, we aren't all going to be warm mm. at the same time and, you know, how we can do it and what are the ways that kept us warm, maybe during hard times or maybe we never had hard times, and to appreciate that. So it was pretty mm. powerful for me. Lord, thank you.
0: For that. You know, I, I would I would be remiss to not mention when Neil Gaiman was here a few years ago and we had, I don't know, 1,500, 1,600 people
1: mm-hmm.
0: for a signing. And he was just as sweet and wonderful as you could imagine. Yes. But Lori, I know you remember this. We had one woman who was in line and she, <laughs> you know, cuddles up to the table and lifts her skirt. Yep to the very top of her legs and it turns out she had a tattoo made from her knee to her hip of Neil Gaiman's face right <laughs> even Neil Gaiman was nonplussed yeah he, he at first he was
1: he didn't have anything to say and he said i'm not usually like at a place where i don't have anything to say
0: yeah there was really something yeah uh well that's great Well, i and and thank you for that lori
1: yeah
2: andrew All right. We're going to talk about The Art Thief. So this is a book about a guy named Stefan Breitweiser, and he lived in France uh, right near the the Switzerland border. This is back in the 90s. Uh, He was in his 20s. He lived with his mom. It seemed like he was avoiding work as much as possible. He had sporadic employment. He would get some money from his grandparents. But what he really did with his girlfriend is took day trips all over Central Europe, stealing art from the museums, from any museum that they could get to. These were mostly small museums. He would pull off these heists during the day. You know, obviously, while the museum was open. All he needed was his girlfriend as a lookout and a Swiss army knife. And he stole um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of items. Where did he put them? Well, I mean, so the first half of the book is really about kind of how he did this, right? He would, you know, they they were really good actors. Nobody ever suspected them. A lot of the stuff he stole was small. He did steal some small paintings. He would just kind of slip them in his jacket and just kind of walk right out. He got away with this for about seven years. He amassed about $2 billion, with a B, $2 billion worth of art, and he kept it all in his mother's attic, in his, in his bedroom, essentially. It was just the entire place was like a treasure box, festooned with art and ancient weapons and everything you can imagine. Now, that's the first half of the book. The amazing part about this book is what happens after he gets caught. Now, it takes him so long to get caught because how do art views always get caught, Roxanne?
0: They go to sell the piece of art.
2: Exactly. So he wasn't selling any of this, right? So he was able to do this. You know, the authorities didn't even know that this was all one person. Some of the museums, it would take years for them to even realize that some of these things were gone. Some of them knew about it right away. But the second half of this book is what happens after he gets, he gets arrested. And that's the part of the story that um, not quite as many people know about It's incredible. This is a nice, quick read. It's only a few hundred pages. I would have loved this book if it was twice as long. It's Mm. great. I loved it. This is The Art Thief by Michael Finkel.
0: You know, when I think about, before I cover the last book, like, think about how all the choices we have to Mm -hmm. read and how much there is to learn. I mean, it's just... So cool, which of course makes me think that the best gift that anybody should give anybody—better than diamonds or cars or anything—is a book. Don't you think? I and if totally you want to get agree. them a big gift, get them more books. Okay. <laughs> Not just really is just listening to both of you, thinking about all the options we've got is great. But the last book we're going to cover is King Alive by Jonathan Eig. Martin Luther King is hands down one of the most influential, important people of the 20th century, and his impact will not only go into the 21st century, but for centuries in the future. And I think Ken Burns wrote a description of this that I think is exactly the way I would describe it if I could write as well as Ken Burns. Jonathan has pulled off a kind of a miracle. Here is the king we know, think we know, and ought to know. Here is the leader, the preacher, the orator, the husband, the father, the martyr, the human being, not with a melodramatic halo in place, but in all his heroic, tragic glory. Hallelujah. Mm. So this is a thick book, but it is a quicker read than you think. And his life is mesmerizing. And, you know, he's a reminder that's true of many of our heroes. They're not just one dimensional. There are other qualities, but they're nonetheless heroes. And I think that's what this book, King of Life, is about. So Lori and Andrew, thank you for joining us on Just the Right Book on our holiday gift guide. Reminder to everybody that you can go to the show notes to see all the books, or you could come to rjjulia.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find all the books there. And on behalf of Andrew and Lori and all the staff at R.J. Julia and Gino, our audio engineer, and Michael, our producer, uh, we hope you end up with not only happy holidays, but times to be together and not only read, uh, but relish whatever small pleasures we each have in our life. So, happy holidays. Just the Right Book is not just a podcast. JustTheRightBook.com is a highly personalized book subscription service. It's good for readers, of all ages. We have decades and decades of bookselling experience at R.J. Julia's, and they're the ones who are selecting these books. Here's what happens. We get tons and tons of letters. We've been around for over 10 years, and the letters always are a version of this. I can't believe you picked out this book. I would have never picked it out. And guess what? It was Just the Right Book. So visit justtherightbook.com for details and begin your subscription today. Of course, we have a promo code for you. So if you go to justtherightbook.com, use the promo code podcast, and you will get 15% off on your subscription at justtherightbook.com. You are listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio, produced by Roxanne Cody and Michael Selick. Our editor is Gino Cordon at pleasantpodcast.com. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can email me any comments, suggestions, observations. We would love to hear from you. Email me at podcast at rjjoula.com. I do hope you will subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Just The Right Book Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.